Welcome to the EdTech Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. When we talk about bringing tech into the classroom, a lot of the conversation focuses on the most exciting, albeit very useful, emerging innovations. AI, VR, 3D printing, etc. But what about using technology to solve some of the simplest classroom issues, like sight and sound? On today's EdTech Podcast, we are joined by Jill Pierce, Chief Technology Officer for McMinn County Schools, who walked us through the importance of opening the line of communication between district, teacher, and student. By suiting technology to each student's needs in a financially responsible way, Jill is making sure McMinn County can continue to grow. Jill, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, and I'm excited to get your personal take you know, from someone who helps run the technology of an entire county, what kind of changes you've seen in the way students are learning, the way students are being taught, and how technology is really playing a pivotal role in all of that. So let's just start right with that. Let's get right into it. Since you've been Chief Technology Officer for McMinn, what kind of changes have you seen in the way students learn? Or maybe what sort of better context have schools and school districts gained in understanding how students learn and then adapting uh, curriculum and lessons to that? Well, I think a lot of it is that we have to look at a lot of different things, uh, how students learn. They have a lot more distractions. They have a lot more options to instructional material than they ever had. You know, you take it back in the old days, they had basically a book. They didn't have this thing called the Internet at their fingertips. And so now we're also getting inundated with all kinds of new software. So it's getting very, very specific on looking at what the child needs and then the district using their either buying power or how they look at free resources to what's best to help the child. And the child has to be part of that, uh, of their own instruction, too, because, you know, what works for one doesn't work for another. So we have to really look at differentiated instruction giving each kid uh, the opportunity to learn in the way they learn. And so that's, I think, where technology comes in uh, wholeheartedly because it gives teachers that those options that they didn't have as just a teacher in a classroom with just a book and a blackboard. They they taught well, but they didn't have all these options to choose from like they have today. Yeah, I mean, what, what you said that really stood out to me was that also empowering the students to take some command over their learning and letting them maybe uh, communicate a little better to teachers and to school districts as a whole, you know, what they want to see in their learning and how they learn in in their own time. Like you said, the internet was something that didn't exist in, you know, for, for several years. And now it is an integral part of the way that students access information, whether it's some sort of YouTube tutorial or um, web applications that act as a replacement for a quiz or some kind of assessment. So you're really seeing them take command over how they want to learn. And so are, are you seeing school districts and teachers respond directly to student ideas and student concerns? Yeah, I think so. I do think it has to be a cultural change because it's generally in the past, it's not been that way. It's, it's been some communication, but mainly teacher to student. And so now it's this whole thing about decisions. So if you look at it, the way I like to look at it is if we take that we're a business and our product is children's minds, we want to make sure that our end consumer, which is the kids, 
have some feedback on what works and what doesn't in their particular instruction. And so I think that's where we have to have a cultural change. And we're starting to see some of that. It's very hard sometimes for a very good teacher to let go of some of those reins because their formula has worked for them. So, you know, that's when we start looking at those things, we have to make sure that all stakeholders are involved. And those stakeholders are not just parents, they're the students in the classroom too. So I think that's very important that we start looking at that even more. And then as we start making more decisions in the classroom for what we're using, those students need to be involved in that decision-making process because if they're not engaged by it, then it's a completely worthless endeavor for us as educators. Yeah, that's so important and critical that those conversations are being had. I mean, I know even when I was going through elementary and middle school, there weren't a lot of chances for feedback where anyone was asking me if, hey, is what we're doing to teach you these lessons working? You know, are you engaged? Like those kind of questions didn't really come up. I I had the um, the benefit of having some really special teachers that crafted their curriculum around the classroom. And it was sort of more of on an individual basis. But it really sounds like you're having structural institutions as a whole really looking at the students as a, a point of contact for how do we adapt our curriculum and our lessons to fit all stakeholders, like you said. Yeah, I think most schools are in the beginning start of that path. I mean, there may be some schools out there, but if you take our small district here in Tennessee, you know, we're we're trying to mold any of our new decisions to that way. So that way we've got all stakeholders in part of it, how the, how the curriculum rose from the teacher to the student or vice versa if the curriculum starts with the student and that, that teacher becomes a facilitator. So I, I think in the next few years, we'll see that be more of a cultural normity than more so than just getting in the beginning phases of it like we're seeing now. Definitely. So then specifically at McMinn County Schools in Tennessee, what kind of effect have you seen technology have on this specific brand of learning, empowering the students a bit more, really understanding how students learn. What have uh, what have you and your coworkers done in that space to really empower the students and to understand the specific ways each one um, absorbs and learns um, information? Oh, well, I think the biggest project we've got now we've kind of we I'm a big thing for naming things. That way it's easy for people to distinguish whatever initiative you're doing. So we've got this initiative called the Even Playing Field Classroom. And we started this about two years ago, but we really, that's when we started implementing. But we started planning about 18 months before that. And we started looking at seriously about certain things. In today's environment, distractions in the classroom have grown immensely. Not to mention that even in new schools or older schools, you've got distractions like air conditioning or, you know, different types of functions in the school that could distract during the classroom. And so we took some things that are not necessarily new. One was sound. And we pulled, uh, I worked with a doctoral student, and we pulled some medical data on how kids hear in comparison to now and 20 and 15 years ago. And what we're seeing is due to the onslaught of earbuds and loud loud instances, and it may not even necessarily be music. It may be, you know, watching a movie or whatever. Kids are having more problems hearing teachers in those type of classrooms. And so when we started pulling that data, we started recognizing that there was some things like one in five ninth graders starting high school has a, you know, anywhere from a 10 to 20 percent hearing loss due to some type of sharp instance 
to their ears with some type of earbuds or headphones. And so when we start looking at that, that could be a real distraction. And, you know, a lot of times teachers think that when kids say, huh, they aren't necessarily hearing them, they're not paying attention. And so we really looked at something that's been around for a long time, but it's not been cost effective in years past. One of those is sound. And so we looked about putting not louder sound in the classroom, but clear sound that is amplified enough so it's not a, it, the distractions in the classroom are not a problem. The kids can hear the teacher. And then if a student gets up to do a presentation, they can hear that student using some type of microphone sound in the classroom. And so that's one of the things we looked at. And then we looked at vision. And one of the things as great as projectors and interactive whiteboards have been, we're starting to see that some of those are getting some age on them. And what's happening with the projector, once you start replacing bulbs, that image gets dimmer. And in fluorescent lighting, typically a teacher has to turn their lights off completely. If they have any outdoor windows, that's depending on the age of the building. Those add to glares and different things, so they turn the lights out. Well, the minute you turn lights out on a bunch of kids, you're looking at probably some of them not paying as much attention because it's dark. And even though they can see the screen clearer, it's still a distraction. So we really wanted to look at technologies that we can improve on those type of things. So we did an exhaustive search, bringing in all our stakeholders from our tech team. We looked at the technical things about things we do. We brought in teachers about working with them because it was going to be a big endeavor if we went out and said we wanted to replace every projector and every interactive whiteboard in our district. And it, it was time for some of those because they had they were anywhere from, you know, seven to 10 years old. And so we started looking at that and we realized it was a big issue. And so we took 20 manufacturers and uh, a panel, touch panels that would replace those. So those basically would be, you know, no projectors in the classroom. You don't have to turn off lights. And we looked at true color. We had a pretty exhaustive rubric and narrowed it down to five, went in side by side by them. And then we came out with a, what you know what size. We looked at all those things about what's the best size to put in a classroom where all the kids can see. Do we have to worry about windows and glaring? You know, all of those things that would enhance that environment before we throw any bit of curriculum at that child. And then including with that would be a sound system with four speakers and four corners of the classroom. It wouldn't matter where the kid was sitting. They'd be able to hear the teacher or if the kid was presenting. And we did the same thing with that type of system and did a bid and came out ahead and got what we wanted. And we started that process a year ago, March. And we'll finish all classrooms by October of this year. And so for our school district, we'll have that. And the idea here is that that's our standard classroom, but it's not the only thing. Then we start looking at content things from there. But we, we chose the box light because we felt like it was the best and most reasonable. You know, a lot of people talk about lowest price, but if lowest price doesn't give you something that is an advantage for your kids in the classroom, then you're, you're paying for nothing. And so we wanted to get lowest and best. And we felt like on all of our rubric, that was our best choice. And then on our sound system, we went with a teach logic because we felt like we didn't need something too fancy. We need something that's clear and concise and that could have the volume and that we could adjust. And we've already seen some instances when you talk about value of investment, We've already had kids that said they couldn't hear the teacher before or they couldn't see well because of the dimming of the projector. 
And it's all we've already think that we've seen some not necessarily data results, but true human story results that this has been an advantage for our classrooms that we put them in already. That's so exciting that the kinds of technology that you're integrating are ones that are solving some of the most basic issues like I can't hear my teacher well or I can't see the screen well enough. You know, like when you think of bringing new technology into the classroom, I think a lot of times the idea is, oh, let's bring in a a 3D printer, let's bring in AI, let's bring in VR, the stuff that is more exciting and and more, um, you know, more of an emerging technology. But I really appreciate the fact that when you as a chief technology officer, you and your team were looking at how can we bring in great new technology to really improve our classroom settings. You focused on some of the most basic issues that needed solving, and that's only going to help make the entire learning experience for the teacher, for the students, if new, more emerging technologies make their way into the classroom, it'll help make everything better. Well, we felt like that we needed to have us, it goes back to that whole thing is that if you're building a house, you got to have a good firm foundation. And we felt with the technologies that we needed, we needed each classroom to have a good foundation. Part of that, we bought, made sure that every teacher had a three-point accessibility laptop, key touch, and, and stylus so the kids could write. We're not one-to-one yet, but the nice thing about this project, we could approach our board because these are one-time monies, and these things are rated for quite a few, so it's going to be a several, you know, several, we're basically, with this investment, we've uh, we've really looked very hard about what we've done, and we decided to do in phases, and when we picked the first rooms to install, we took the teachers with the worst technology, you know, if their board wasn't working exactly right or the projector was older, we filled those classrooms first because we felt like that was the best need at the time. And we kind of worked our way backwards to the ones that had the newer. And none of it's really new technology because the interactive whiteboards in there, they're, they're great. But we're at a point in, in classroom instruction that anything the teacher uses needs to be able to be shared with the students. So using third-party, sometimes using third-party software that the kids don't have access to. So we really looked at that. The other thing that we thought was important is our math teachers. They still want something to write on to put problems up there. And we we really listen to our stakeholders there, you know. And so built into these boards is you don't even have to have a computer touched up. They have software built into them that they can have an unlimited whiteboard if they need to do problems and bring the kids up there and all that stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of different technologies out there and everybody's saying, well, you don't need touch anymore. And uh, when we talked, which we felt like was the right thing to do, our stakeholders from students, parents to teachers, we felt like this was, we brought those in when we were evaluating and, you know, uh, what works for an English teacher may not work for a math teacher. You got to look at their content. And so we talked to them, couldn't talk to everybody in the school district, but we talked to a large number and we felt like we made the best decision for what we had in the classroom. And now that we have this base classroom, then we can start building around content. So if a math, t- you know, science teacher needs a 3D printer, yes, we want to look at those emerging technologies, but we wanted to make sure that our base was the least distractible and the best way for kids to learn before we start adding those content items. I couldn't think of a better starting point than uh, than the one you've approached. So props to you on that for sure. Well, thank you. It was a team effort. Our director of schools, Mickey Blevin, you know, having leaders that lead on this and all that and then a board that we have. And then we, we picked a really good partner, you know, after all this, going through all this, once we did everything, uh, Boxlight, who we worked with in Teach Logic, 
and we worked with a, a reseller, you know, and they really on projects like this become your partner. Yes, you have to go through and follow your procurement and purchasing guidelines, which we did and follow to the letter of the law. But then once those purchases are made, being able to work with those companies and and they'd be partners with you as things come up in a large install like this makes it good. And we work with a company called Central Technologies in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I can't say enough about them and Foxlight and Teach Logic how they've worked with us to make this happen. Yeah, it's great to have companies backing you and giving you that support. Um, you know, they're not just providing the technology they're they're providing, you know, you have someone in your court, uh, someone that's there to really show you why this technology is important and help convince maybe some people that aren't totally convinced that, hey, this definitely is going to help your students and your entire school district perform better, which is which is great. And, you know, that kind of brings me to my next point, which I think a lot of school districts struggle with money. I mean, that's I mean, that's not a new piece of information, but, you know, making sure that whatever decisions are made for the technology or for any sort of changes meet a budget requirement or fall in line with, okay, well, we can't spend this much on that. So this is the only amount of money you're going to have allocated for this. So, I mean, what kind of issues have you seen with as more districts and more schools are learning that um, education has to adapt to each student? I feel like that is going to cost money to make that uh, accessible. So yeah, what, what, what kind of balance have you seen there between making things affordable, but also making sure that the technology and the things that are implemented actually uh, produce change? Well, as most people know, we've got two f- funds of money that we have to look at. There's total cost of ownership, which is the value of whatever technology you put in, what it costs you over time. And then there's value of investment. And one of the things about value investment is is that technology valuing you into your students, into the integration of their lessons? So, you know, when we start looking at those two items and we look about what we did, one of the things about what specifically we did, it's one-time monies. And traditionally, schools have a little, and board boards uh, and administrators and finance and all that have a little easier pill to swallow on one-time monies in comparative to reoccurring. Like all districts, we are trying to go one-to-one but that is reoccurring monies and it needs to stay. And one of our big things, the reason we haven't went full one-to-one, we want to make sure it's sustainability. If you can't sustain your technology, then you're basically, you know, putting that in front of the kids and then not being able to sustain it two, three years down the road is a real hamper on the teachers and students because of uh, not having at least the same quality of technology as they go through. So the good thing about this particular project, it's one-time monies and due to how, the boards and the system rates, our total cost of ownership is very good over the length of time that those are supposed to work. The other thing is that because they have all the new type of adapters to them, we can attach anything to them, the view. And so we're preparing for the future. You know, a lot of the old projectors are VGA. Most everything's going to HDMI, which is the new connector. I don't want to get uh, too technical about that. But, you know, looking at those type of things, being able to hook multiple types of media that you don't have to disconnect. We didn't, you could do that with the projector, but it was always up in the ceiling. It's hard to get to, you know, and when schools do that, when they did it originally, they usually didn't run those things. So the nice thing about a board being mounted or on a card is those are readily accessible. And so when we start looking at those type of things in the classroom and one-time monies, I always tell people, we not everybody may not be able to do it as fast as we did. We got lucky 
uh, our board bought into it. We had some money that we could do, and we knew it wasn't reoccurring. But there's several other districts that have come and looked at our model, and I told them, I said, start somewhere. You know, you can allocate a little bit of money every year and do it over a certain year time, and then you could do exactly what we did. It doesn't have to be done overnight. And sometimes people feel like new technologies, we got to do everybody overnight. We, we did a test in that 18 months decision. We had several different brands of boards in some classrooms just to test out to see which was going to work first. And we put this technology in front of our board very quickly so they knew what was going on. So it's all about how you build and how you plan on when you're looking at a new technology. So I think that's it. And most school districts can come up for what they call small pilots. And then if they see that it works, they can plan on doing it over time. We're going to do 10 classrooms this year, five classrooms next year. And as they go through that, sooner or later, they'll be done with it. I'm glad that everything worked out so quickly for you and your district and that you were able to maximize on your budget and making sure that, you know, the payments that you invested into the classroom and into new technology would pay off for a long time and weren't an investment that would need to be kept up um, from grade level to grade level and, and would sink more funds and then be harder to maintain. And so I think that just goes back to you wanting to build that solid foundation and keeping that in mind from the start. How can we build a sustainable, uh, strong technological foundation for our classrooms to then build off of that in the next years? You know, not jumping the gun and, and trying something radically new that maybe we wouldn't be able to hold on to for too long. Or, you know, by the time we get into all our classrooms, we've sunk hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions even in, into this. So, so yeah, it all, it all comes from prep from being forward thinking, but also being mindful. So yeah, I, I think you're really helping your district capitalize on technology in the best way. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's things we can do better. And that's the thing is being open in your process, because I think a lot of times people in my position get very stuck about things because we get opinionated just like everybody else does. And so, and teachers do too on what works well in their classroom. So the idea here is to be open and then really do your background research on anything you're looking at. Uh, you mentioned 3D printers. I'll give a perfect example. 3D printers are the coolest thing in the world. But, you know, we tried, we'll, we'll do small pilots that don't cost a lot, but look about because you, you've got to answer value of investment. Well, if it's cool, that's great. But what is the value of using a 3D printer with a teacher and a student and what it comes out with? And I'm, you know, I'm all for that, but it took us a couple of years to really figure that out. So we're just now really looking at those seriously because we've got some things to build around that to make it of value to that student. And so I think that's where making those type of decisions, the reason the panel made such good sense for us is that we saw kids not paying attention because they couldn't see it as well and, and those kind of things. And, you know, teachers would buy some type of new connection device that needed to be displayed and it wouldn't have the proper connections on the projector. So by building on this and looking about what we're doing, we're, we've built for our future. And that doesn't mean there won't be something new come out, but just because it's new doesn't mean it's best. And that's that that's kind of the philosophy there. And we also want to make sure that anything we're buying, we want fun. I agree. If students have fun, they'll learn. But we also want to make sure that that value of that investment 
fits to what we think is instructionally strong for the kids. And that's that's part of that whole decision-making process. And I think schools that do that and try to be as open as possible find the better solutions that way. I, I couldn't agree more. Well, you know what, Jill? I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and giving us this insight from a CTO who's working really hard to transform her district into something that has a really, really strong foundation to then implement further technology in the future and make that learning experience personalized and effective for every student. So again, thanks for coming on the podcast. All right. Thanks a lot. And thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Till next time. Till next time.